So this episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you do not know what Magic Spoon is, you have to find out ASAP and go get yourself some because I don't know about you guys, but I spent my entire childhood eating cereal. In the mornings, it was the first thing I did. After school, I loved grabbing it. I used to sit in front of the TV and just eat my cereal. My friend, we used to love going to her house because she had that cabinet that was like, whoa, and you open up the door and literally every possible cereal that you could possibly want with all the sugar in it, of course, was there versus my parents. Like it was my favorites, but like it was a limited selection. My friend had like every cereal. It was amazing. So anyway, cereal is a huge part of my childhood. Like every once in a while when, you know, I was a little depressed in my 20s, I remember getting a box of cereal and just pouring the milk in just to kind of give some comfort. But then what happens? Like we grow up and we realize, um, it's a little too sugary, probably not great for us. I'm kind of eating way empty calories. It's not giving me anything. Let's grow up and start eating a more well rounded diet. But that's where Magic Spoon comes in. It's amazing. So it's created these incredible like cereals that are going to bring you back to your childhood. They're reminiscent. They are like them. But however, they are healthy. There's zero sugar. There's 11 grams of protein. What? 11 grams of protein? Imagine eating Fruit Loops with 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs in every single serving. So they have four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I love fruity because it reminds me of fruity um, Fruit Loops. I almost said Fruity Pebbles, which I also love, but it reminds me of Fruit Loops. And wasn't your favorite thing like drinking the milk afterwards? So imagine doing that with zero sugars and 11 grams of protein and only three net grams of carbs. It's huge and it tastes amazing. It's crazy. It really is too good to be true. And I know so many of you are on different diets and I promise you it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb and GMO-free. Everything free. How is this possible? But it is. So I'm telling you, don't walk. You have to run. Go on to magicspoon.com slash Dentox in all caps. That is your code. Do, do Dentox at checkout and you will get free shipping as well. So magicspoon.com at Dentox. You can get all these different packs. You can get a variety pack. You can get your favorite flavor. But if you want to sit in front of that TV, especially during COVID times, and like watch a little TV and eat some cereal and feel good and bring yourself back to your childhood, but also be like, oh, I'm actually not doing anything bad for me. This is where you want to go. So magicspoon.com slash Dentox and use the code Dentox for free shipping. We truly thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast because it just makes us happy. Oh, and that's another thing. It is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you are not happy and for whatever reason you do not like it, they will refund your money. No question to ask. I think they're pretty confident. So that's pretty awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Magic Spoon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., 
Den Talks podcast is powered by denanywhere.com. You guys go to denanywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. We've got Ryan Weiss here today. Always an amazing guest. Oh my God, you guys are going to love this episode. But before we get into it, I just have a few announcements I want to make. We have so many certifications and a retreat coming up all for January or getting ready for 2021. The retreat is actually December. The last little bit, it ends December 31st. It's nine to six starting December 27th through December 31st. It is virtual. You can do it from anywhere. Go on to denanywhere.com, get the information. It is going to be an incredible um, retreat and way to go within yourself, learning self-care and also learning how to handle the ups and downs so that when you go into 2021, you are strong. So I think it's a perfect way to finish this year off and to start the next year. Again, it starts December 27th and ends the 31st and it's nine to six every day for five days. And it's with Heather Preet, who's incredible and anyone who's ever done a retreat with her knows how transformational it is. But we also have a bunch of certifications and courses happening in January. So it's really a great way to start 2021. Teacher training, I know I've said it before, starts January 7th. It's a 400-hour teacher training program. It's not even if you want to be a teacher. If you do want to be a teacher, we've had so many incredible teachers develop from there, um, but it's also an amazing way to just deepen your practice or get a strong practice going or just to understand more and dive deeper. It is going to be incredible. Again, go to denanywhere.com, get all of the information. We are accepting applications now. Also, intuitive healing. The basic training starts January 10th and the advanced starts January 12th. And Reiki, if you want to get Reiki certified, that is February 7th. Also, an incredible course on Kabbalah from Gal Sassan, who you know is one of our favorite astrologists. Um, and so if you want to learn about Kabbalah from him, it's about a six-week course starting January 9th. So all this is on denanywhere.com. Go to certifications and courses and take a look at what's happening. And again, don't forget that retreat. What an unbelievable gift to yourself and way to really make sure that you're evolving the way you need to. Um, now to Ryan Weiss one of my favorites, a deep, deep, deep friend. Um, he is doing a beautiful thing starting in January as well, um, where it is free to the public and it is a sanctuary challenge and is all about learning to do deep self-care for yourself. And in that self-care, it's transformational for your own evolution of getting to know yourself. But we also talk about what that means. This is what this episode is all about. What does it mean to really know yourself? What does it mean to really accept those dark, ugly parts of you? I don't even think we set off to talk about it, but it's just where the episode went. And I think it's so important because I think everybody, especially during this time, has been confronted with parts of themselves they don't like, or at least reactions that they might not be able to fully understand. And I think the whole point of what we discuss is when you can really learn to befriend all of these emotions and when can you really learn to sit in these sides of you, it's amazing what happens. But I really love it because we talk about it all from his childhood, things that you wouldn't expect about people or from him, especially on the outside, you actually get to see 
see where the cracks are because we all have them. And I think it's such a beautiful reminder that the cracks are part of who we are. Um, and so I think you're going to love this episode. Again, go to um, our Facebook page, please, and join us there and let us know. And go to denanywhere.com to check out all these incredible certifications and courses that are coming up and retreats as well. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Rye, how are you? How how's everything? How are you? Have we started? Are we starting? Is this it? Let's do it. Let's roll in. Why not? Okay, great. Um, thank God, touch wood, I'm well. Yeah, me too. Um, this has been a season where, for me personally, I feel like I've been gearing up for this for about eleven years, having been focused on you know service and mental health and healing and trauma healing and communication and relationship strategy and attachment styles. And as a coach, it's like been my, firstly, it's what I'm naturally obsessed with, right? right for sure. That's why I do it. Um, and everything's so come to a head this last year. Um, and it's, you know, it's been a time where people have really, I'm sure you see this with the den and your online stuff as well. Like people are really not only needing support, support but also finally asking for the support yeah you know um and it's kind of overwhelming so a lot of my time lately has been focused on like how do I get this support out to people as many people as possible in a way that I can also take care of myself um which is a journey I mean you ask me how I am I would say last week I was more anxious than I've been in a long time um I felt like my anxiety like crept up on me. And the moment I woke up in the morning and opened my eyes, like my head was just spinning, 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 spinning. And there were days when I turned to my practice, thank God, and got into my meditation and went for a walk and did my goddess time and exercised and was really able to take care of myself and nurture myself. And there were days that I didn't and yeah, it, it was, it, it was rough. Today is Monday and I feel um, much more grounded, much more centered, really took the weekend to like relax, unplug, not do anything except for, you know, go for walks and go to the ocean and talk what, with friends. And what for you was spurring your anxiety? Like what was at the core of it? Yeah. Um, I think I'm just in a new, <clears throat> I'm in discomfort right now. I'm launching this program um, that I've mentioned to you called the Sanctuary Challenge. And what I'm noticing is for the last 11 years since starting my coaching practice, it's a very kind of right brain, emotional, fluid, non-linear way to live my life, right? Because there's not a whole lot of operations, right? The extent of the operations of my work for the last 11 years is like scheduling and sending invoices. And the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of my time is spent in coaching sessions with people, which it uses a part of me that's very present, emotional, spiritual, um, a lot of listening, a lot of compassion, a lot of... Um, meditation, guidance. And then uh, about six months ago, I decided that I was going to launch this online program. And 
not really thinking about the fact that it was going to require this other part of me, this like, you know, operations, production, backend, hiring, management. Um, and as this sanctuary challenge has grown into what it's becoming, it's just required, I mean, you know this better than anybody. It's just requiring hiring a lot of people and managing all of it. And, and so it's just using a part of my brain, that more left brain, like organizing operational part of me that I'm, it's just not my strong suit. Um, and so it's bringing up a lot of my anxiety, but underneath that is a lot of shame. Like when I really sit with myself and I really check in, there's shame and there's fear. There's fear that I can't do this, that I'm not enough, that what if it doesn't work? Um, that if I go really deeply personally here and get really vulnerable right away, um, I've lived in a kind of a sort of a, I need to be saved complex, right? Like I need a lover to save me or a work thing to save me or the money to save me because I am ill-equipped. I don't do anything right. I can't succeed um, is like my shadow story from my early trauma, right? And so then launching something like this is testing all of that insecurity yeah. And it brings up all my anxiety. It's interesting because, I mean, I can relate to that on so many levels. And, you know, and Nicole, who's like tucked away here too, I'm sure can too. And when the pandemic, the quarantine, I should say, first started in March and we had to switch gears and basically get everything online, it was like, it, it was insane. And same, I would try and explain it to people, especially like Alec, I was trying to explain it because he didn't quite understand it. I'm like, I've completely shifted back into, like you were saying, left brain. It's like a startup company. And I, when you say it's not what you're good at, I would not necessarily say that because I know the world you came from. I'm actually really good at it. Um, but what I realized in shifting back into it is I now, now, because I am a more centered human, I felt the balance completely off and it like really kilters you. So it affected me more versus before I could almost live in this weird bubble of like, and even though it wasn't the healthiest thing for me, I kind of created the barriers to keep it going in a more structured way. And now that like I could feel it and I'm probably more sensitive to it when all of a sudden I was in that place, oh, I, it felt heavier. It felt worse. The anxiety was was more so it's like, I'm almost more in tune with my anxiety now. So I feel it even faster. Mm. Um, and it was brutal. It was a brutal time. Like my birthday was right around there and I was a crazy <sighs> bitch on my birthday. Like the amount of apologies I had to do to Alec and my own child because it was April 1st. I mean, I was in the height of it, but I remember it brought out the side of me that I was like, Whoa, yeah, that is why I've worked really hard to like switch that. It's like that side of me has done so well for me. Um, and I've learned so much and it's still part of who I am, obviously, like you have it in you too. But when there are certain times in your life, you have to crunch into it. That's what it's there for. It's, it's not that it's a bad thing, but you do feel it. And it yeah. really, the same thing, it threw me off in a big way. And I weirdly feel like I have that same which is funny. I think most people wouldn't think that about people who kind of put themselves out there a lot. I have that same thing where you ultimately are like, you know, 
am I good enough? Is this going to work? Like, and you know, and even though the brain part will be like, well, it doesn't matter. You are good enough. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like it's okay. Life goes on and you'll be fine. There is that deep seated nugget. Like you were saying that shadow side that, yeah, it's really there. I was feeling the anxiety this week a lot too. I mean, it's also mm -hmm. not, woo -woo, but there's also that, you know, there's the eclipse today in full moon, which was like this early this morning. I was feeling the anxiety too. I was going for lots of walks. Mm. You know, I appreciate you bringing up the notion that like it, it is something that I'm good at because I think the difference today is I am launching the thing. I am still taking the actions. Yep. I am still putting one foot in front of the other and developing the website and handling all the photography and the music elements and all the elements that are going into this thing. I'm, the difference between today and maybe me a couple years ago who, listen, for 10 years, I've had lots of great ideas. You've heard them from me about, I want to launch this thing. I want to start this thing. I want to, and then for years, and I imagine your listeners can really relate to this. Hmm. I would have the great idea. I would talk about it. And then when it came to sitting down to take the action, I would go into procrastination, I would go into avoidance, and then months and months would go by and I wouldn't do anything and then it would just fall away. Whereas today, I think mainly because of the trauma healing work that I've been doing with my therapist and going to places like onsite, um, I'm aware that my procrastination, that I used to just call it like, oh, I'm lazy, which by the way is a, a shame piece, right? There's something wrong with me, I'm lazy, I should be better. What my therapist has really helped me to see is, no, 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 my love. You, when you sit down to do something that you don't quite know how to do or you're not practiced at doing, check in with what's going on in that moment when you want to procrastinate. And what I found underneath was deep and profound fear that comes from this really traumatized little child who got lots of messaging that I can't and that I should just do things the way they've always been done and that I shouldn't um, do things my own way and that I have to be a person, especially when it comes to like my sexuality, right? It's all tied in, right? You, I have to fit in as this like male, heterosexual, normative kind of thing, but that wasn't authentically me. And I didn't have um, an early life and a family unit that knew how to um, help me sit with who I really was and what I really am and what I can really do and help me feel safe in becoming who I really am. So instead, I learned how to avoid so much of my emotional life because it was too painful to be this creative, feminine, gay being. And so I really shut off the emotions, the painful emotions that were trying to inform who I really was um, because it was, it was too hard. I, I didn't believe that I would be loved and held and supported if I felt those feelings. And so in the moments of procrastination, if I really sat with myself, even just recently, right, recently over the past couple of years, I really started learning how to sit with myself and investigate what's really going on here. And what does this little boy inside of me really need right now? And what is he really afraid of? And I think as I've learned to take care of myself in those moments, then 
on the other side of going through the process of my emotional care, then, oh, just take the next action. It's much more simple, right? Like you were saying, like the head is saying like, you can do this. Like, this isn't that hard. Or so what if it doesn't work out, right? It's like, I said to someone the other day when they said, how are you? And I was like, I'm experiencing quite a bit of anxiety. And they said, what's going on? And I was like, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to launch this thing and no one's going to care and it's just going to fall flat on its face. And, and this person said to me, well, Ryan, if you just change one person's life, that's all that matters. And I was like, well, friend, you're using rational thought to try to talk to an absolutely irrational, nonlinear, emotional place within me. Like that's not going to work. Instead, can you just say to me, hey, I really understand. Hey, that, that makes a lot of sense. Your feelings are really valid. It is so interesting, though, the two bodies within one. It really is when you think about it, because I, I get it. I feel that same way. I mean, it's been a tough time. It's a tough time to have a business. It's a tough time to have a small business. So, um, you know, we've it's been up and it's, we've been down. And I always have to go back to that place. And it's hard. It's like the two bodies. It's a part. It's like, wait, is am I doing this right? And then just going back to the if one person, if this has changed one person's life, then you can go to sleep okay. Like, you know, you did a good thing. Like, don't worry about, but it is hard because we are programmed from such a young age. It's the money, it's the losing money, it's the gaining money. It's the, are you going to be okay? How you pay rent, how you survive, how you pay more, whatever it is. And all that stuff starts to feel like it takes priority, which it does. Like we've talked about, I mean, there is survival stuff that needs to happen, but it's, um, it really is interesting when you do kind of go down this, I hate using the word spiritual path. I hate that. But like, you know what I mean? When you start to get to a point where you know there's more to your daily actions, there's more to what you put out in the world, there's more to it. It is fascinating because you see this dual, literally yeah. dual, a duel of a duel <laughs> happening yep. all the time. And it, you can really see kind of that back and forth. It's fascinating hearing also from you that, and I get it, especially like you were saying, being gay at a time, like growing up and your family didn't necessarily know what to do with it. And they're lovely humans. There's nothing like they, totally. Um, so it feels like yet you had a lot of success. So it's always so interesting to hear what's really like you were a dancer and like an amazing one. And you've done some incredible things exploring that side of you, this creative, like you were saying, this creative human. Um, so it is interesting that you still found those outlets and you still found the ability to be that Ryan. Um, and it, you know what I mean? And I it, do. And you truly never know where the pain sits for someone. I think that, you know, it's so funny. You, I love how well you know me. <laughs> I rarely get to do podcasts with people, like other than with Elizabeth and Stephanie. Right. I rarely get to do podcasts with people that know me so well. Um, there's a direct correlation. You know, dance for me was my religion. It was my, you know, I know you don't like the term spiritual path, but I think when I think about the term spiritual path, all it is is the path to becoming more of who we came in as. That's why right? I because it, it makes it seem like it's this thing that one day you're like, I've signed up for this. And it's like, no, everyone's on one. Everyone's Everyone on one. Everyone is on one. That's why I don't like it because it seems a faith, little... We're all, we all, you know, we, we either have faith in something or faith in nothing, but it's still faith. It's still, still spirituality. Yeah. Right. It may not look how you expect it, but it's still a power. Totally. 
And so in my, in my early years, dance was something that really found me, much like coaching found me, really. Um, dance was something that found me and in that room with that music and with those people, it was the one space I felt safe. I just got chills. Like I can picture mm. you in that vibration there. Yeah. Oh, I'll never forget my friend Sharon, who was my best friend in high school. She saw something in me and I was closeted and kind of had no fashion sense. And like was just like a dork with, with, uh, with braces in high school who thought I was going to be either a marine biologist or a geneticist. I mean, that was what I was obsessed with in, in high school. And my friend Sharon was like, come with me to this dance class. And so I was like, okay. And so I went with her to the Edge Performing Arts Center in Hollywood. Well, the Edge is like hardcore. But did you like to dance at that point at all? You know, I was the kid at like bar and bat mitzvahs that like loved to get like a groove on. Um, <laughs> and then freshman year, so I was also always a baseball player. And freshman year of high school, I just fell out of love with baseball. I didn't want to play in high school. And I found out that if I did the high school musical, which by the way, I'm a triplet, which you know, and both my sisters are incredible singers. So they were from my whole youth, they were always in every choir and every show and like community theater and the musicals at our middle school and our Hebrew school. So I always like saw stuff and really enjoyed it. And then my freshman year of high school, I signed up to do the musical, which was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. The first musical I ever saw on Broadway. No way. Swear to God. Oh my God. Go, 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 Joseph, you know what they say. So. <laughs> I love it. So um, I did the musical because I, I found out you, you get PE credit. <laughs> you did? So, yeah, you get like sports credit for doing the musical, which actually makes sense. You're like dancing eight hours. Um, and the choreographer of the show, Janet Rostin, like saw something in me. And she was like, you actually are a wonderful dancer. You just need training. So that happened. And my best friend Sharon, my sophomore year, was like, come with me to this dance class. So we went to Denise Leitner's dance class. And it was my first time ever taking a dance class. And the class started with this live drummer in the corner. And the teacher started moving and doing this like movement with her arms and we were all following and tall. When I tell you my body knew exactly what to do. Like whether you believe in a past life or whether you believe in assignments, that moment was an assignment. Like a piece of my soul came online in my body in that moment. And my body knew exactly what to do. And at the end of that class, the teacher, Denise, came up to me and said, which by the way, uh, everyone thought she was my mom. We like looked alike. We had like long curly hair. Literally people at the end of the class were like, Denise, I didn't know your son danced. And she was like, he's not my son. I don't even know him. And then she said to me, how long have you been dancing? You're incredible. And I was like, this is my first dance class. By the way, three years later, I was in a Broadway show. I know that's what's so amazing. So, so that dance piece became my safe space. It became the space for me to explore my creativity, myself, my feminine side. Um, it was my sol- solace. So until high school, you were basically 
you were a very different human. You weren't feeling safe with it. It's like baseball and marine biology. Is that part of it because you were a triplet and they had kind of taken that scape? Like they, you know, I find with siblings, a lot of times people try and you try and naturally do different things. So you can get attention for different things and carve your own space. Do you think that was part of it? Like they took that space. So you wanted to take a different space? I don't, it's a great question. So firstly, yes, because as a triplet, it was always really important to me to differentiate. And yeah. again, I think that goes back to this homosexual spirit that always felt really different from my family system, from my education system, from the kind of city and world around me in Los Angeles. Um, so it was always really important for me to differentiate myself from the pack. That was, I was always that way. Like at six years old, I looked at my mom and said, mom, if I don't eat meat, will I die? And she was like, huh? And I was like, if I don't eat meat, will I die? And she said, no, of course you won't. There's people called vegetarians. And I was like, great, I'm now a vegetarian. And she said, why? And I said, well, I don't understand why we would eat meat if we don't, why would we kill animals for food if we don't have to? And she was like, that was a profound statement at six years old. That being said, my godmother years later said that she always knew. My godmother is an artist, very different from kind of my family structure. You know, you have these angels in your life, on your path. And my godmother said to me years later, when you told us that you were a vegetarian, I knew that that was a way that you were differentiating yourself from your family. And so... I think in terms of not going into the arts early on, listen, my dad was a sports fanatic. All I wanted was my dad's love. Like I was also part of being a dancer later on was I was a great baseball player. I was a great shortstop. Like a ball never went past me. I was like this all-star little kid. And I got a lot of like relationship with my father because my dad was always working, 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 working because he had five kids. My parents had a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old. They were 37 years old and they got pregnant wanting one more and they got triplets. So my dad like went to work, right? So he wasn't around a ton. I love my dad. He's amazing. And he gave up his life to support us. But like every Saturday we were on the baseball field. And when he would come home at night, we were in the backyard throwing around the ball, right? And that's how I built a relationship with him. So I think there was so much around kind of developing this persona and also looking around at the world and going, what's going to get me, quote, success so that I can be deserving of love? Because I, being, you know, in the Jungian kind of analysis world, they have a term called the provisional life, which is the life you build for yourself that's different from your authentic soul's path. And the only way we live along alignment of our authentic soul's path is to feel our feelings, right? Carl Jung talked about how the soul or the, the self, not the soul, the self is the feelings. But I was so disconnected from my emotions because I didn't feel safe. And so I created this provisional self that was really good at school and really good at sports and didn't explore my creativity because that would mean me having to explore my authentic self who didn't feel safe in the world. So I had to hide that part of me away until this like, if you want to call it a Kundalini awakening or whatever, when I was in that dance studio 
and at 16 years old, like started dancing, fell in love with a man for the first time and like went on that whole journey. Not that it was easy because I stayed closeted for many years and, um, you know, developed all sorts of like addictions and, and, and kind of habitual negative patterns because I was so afraid to be exposed and it's complicated. It, it, did you, did your siblings, when you came out of the closet, did you do it in peace, like piecemeal or one? Piecemeal. Piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Who'd you go to first in your family? My older brother and sister-in-law who were amazing. And literally I called them on the phone and they were like, thank God we've been waiting for this phone call. So sweet. Then my triplet sisters, then eventually my parents, but that took years. Right. And was their reaction different than you thought it was going to be? To say that I was afraid of what their reaction was going to be is an understatement. Clearly, because if you waited so long. Yeah, I, and I say this, I have so much incredible love for my parents and I'm sure they're going to listen to this because they listen to everything that I do. And so (laughs) I want to preface this by saying I love them tremendously. You have to think about the time line of how old I was and what was kind of, people weren't coming out of the closet, certainly not my age. And you know, on one side of my family, um, I'm, we're pretty sure that my grandfather was a closeted homosexual. My father's father. Um, he was a costumer. <laughs> he was very kind of creative, and but but we're pretty sure he was always closeted and a very 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 angry man. And then very like abusive, oh, angry. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine for that long never being able to horrible be yourself. And then at that same side, so my father's side of the family, dad, forgive me for sharing this, but um, he also had an uncle who was my father's favorite uncle, who was like very cultured man about town in San Francisco, um, very successful. And when my father went to medical school in San Francisco, his uncle kind of became the father he never had and started like really showing him around town and showing him the finer things in life. My dad did not grow up with money. And and my dad really fell in love with his uncle. And in 1986, my uncle contracted HIV Mm. and he was closeted having sex with men in San Francisco. And he ended up passing. And so these were my dad's two relationships with homosexuality, which at the time I couldn't really see, but in hindsight, I really recognized why it was so difficult for my father. And I don't think it was because he had the kind of judgment about homosexuality that I thought he had. I think he was just really afraid. It's tra- he's, he saw it always in tragedy, mm-hmm. like surrounded by tragedy. It's so interesting because my um, best friend, her dad, and college died of stomach cancer. And there was always, she'd always have these weird notions and weird ideas of it. And I mean, long story short, she basically found out because she kept pushing and pushing and asking like her grandparents and her mom unfortunately has um, early onset Alzheimer's. So she was no longer a source. Um, 
And she finally got the death certificate and it basically finally confirmed what she thought, which was it was really AIDS, like probably pneumonia or whatever it is, you know, complication of AIDS. And then the more she uncovered and the more she pushed, it was the same thing. He was closeted. And in the 80s and 90s, I mean, you think about the time and it's so heart-wrenching and breaking and in a weird way, very sweet that the mom clearly knew and that was, and she kept it, like they kept this weird agreement closeted thing too. But it's, I always think about it and it's so tragic. And also because then he was dying and couldn't really share with her and was too closeted to get any of the help that might have mm-hmm. actually helped him That's during cool. that time. And it, it's it's so sad. But then now she always jokes too. She's like, I mean, I should have known. He was always the best clothing designer. He designed my like wedding dress before I had like, she was always saying these amazing things and he was a great man. But the same thing, it's, you know, we're really not, and not everybody has that privilege, but we're lucky that we're in a time where there is more of a freedom to be who you are because even in your story what you're saying is it's even just even the unsaid the things that were put on by yourself sometimes too and just by the environment around you has seeped in enough that still as a grown man who's experienced so much success and so much adoration through expressing himself in a very true way still has these crippling moments of doubt absolutely And I think so much of it, if I'm really being honest about this shadow side, is part of the reason that I've made myself so available to express myself and support people is because I learned that that's how I'm going to get loved. That's how I'm going to be safe, is if I support other people. And if I gain a certain kind of worldly, quote, success that looks a certain kind of way, then I'll be safe because I'll be loved because I'll be accepted. And that comes from a really shadow place, really a fearful place inside of me where there's this little kid that's so afraid that he won't get loved, that he's going to get rejected, that he's going to be left behind. And what I've learned through my trauma care is that part of me is not going away. That part of me is so incredibly powerful. Um, And it's not about making those feelings that arise today go away. It's actually about getting into relationship with them and bringing them closer. Um, But societally, we've been so programmed to avoid the emotions that are other than the ones that look good, the happiness, the joy, the success, the, 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 the love, We've really been trained that those are the only feelings that we should feel. I mean, look, we call the other ones, quote, negative emotions. Right. The fact that we call them negative emotions, it's like, what? The, the emotions of sadness and anger and resentment and jealousy and these kind of shadow emotions, they're here and they're a part of us. And societally, we've just learned to push them away. And my healing and really the work that I do with every client and my group coachings and is about helping people get in touch with those more shadow feelings and bring them closer and start learning to ask those parts of ourselves, what are you believing, right? What do you need? How can I give you what you need? So it's funny, earlier you were talking about how kind of we have these two selves. We kind of have a bit of a split personality and we really do because there's the part of ourselves that 
um, is in pain, that's in fear. And that's typically a really young part of ourselves. And then there's the adult self. But the problem is, is that most of us have not yet learned how to train the adult self to show up for these parts of ourselves that are younger and afraid so that we can hold space um, and learn how to nurture those parts of ourselves. And to me, you know, the word love over the past couple of years have because become so much more expansive to me because it's not just this like romantic love. I've come to see that the word love can be translated as space. That love is about loving what is. It's about holding space for whatever is arising within us. And there's a Course in Miracles sentence that says, even our smallest irritation is a symbol of our deeply hidden rage. Even our smallest triggers are coming from places within us that there's such deep, profound, unprocessed emotions. And now we know from the world of trauma neurology that if you're familiar with the ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, that when you're a young child and you experience big T traumas, right? Like divorce of a parent, loss of a parent, a mentally unstable parent, um, uh, any kind of physical, emotional, sexual abuse, there is a direct correlation from that unprocessed early childhood trauma to later on in life, physical sicknesses, mm. loss of immunity, cancers, um, disorders, diseases, hepatitis. Um, and so it's really, 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 really important, not to mention the time that we're in on the planet, right? Where we need every single soul on this earth to be truly, <clears throat> we need every soul on this planet to be activated in their absolute potential. Not just what's, and that's not only gonna come from them being like the quote, best version of themselves and pushing away the kind of hard aspects of self. It, we need people who are activated in all of themselves, really being in relationship with their shadow side and their light side. Well, it's so interesting because especially during what's been happening for these past, how many months now, eight months? Um, and I talked a lot about this, especially in the beginning of the pandemic of like, and it's so true. If you're willing to hear your emotions, and I try and teach this in my class all the time, is the minute you start to feel it, whatever it is, it could be, let's work with anxiety since that seems to be something you and I were both feeling recently, or it could be shame, sadness, anger. I'm always like, I say the same thing. I'm like, have a conversation with it because instead of letting it dictate your mood, to me, it's it's that if you want to like animate it, it's almost like the animation of the choir coming up being like, it's time to learn something new. Like that's yes. how I, it's like, hey, you guys, so it's time to learn something new. We're about to go down that ride again and see where we can go. So you ready? You ready to buckle in? You ready to do this? Like there's a way to animate it where you can then build, a, a, I always say it's like an alert. Um, like you were saying you're in discomfort and you're starting something new. And I always tell people there's always this discomfort. It's usually before that when you feel like you're supposed to be doing something new and you don't know what it is yet. And that's like a very um, weird place to be because there's no, there's nothing concrete happening and it's amorphous. And usually it means letting go of something to just be hanging in the midst of nothing before the new thing happens. And it's very uncomfortable, which is why very few people do change because that's the part you have to be kind of willing to do is that suspension part. Um, and you should write a book about that. <laughs> Literally write a whole book about that moment. 
Maybe. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Everyone keeps telling me you should write something about change, change, change. Cause I do, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I tend to change pretty well mm-hmm. and I know mm-hmm. that's hard for people. And so I've been actually trying to put thought to it more than just doing it, try to understand what is like happening. So that's interesting. You said that, but And I always tell people there is a a moment of so much discomfort in there, not even a moment. It can last a long time. It can be a little bit. And instead of letting, and that discomfort turns into anxiety and it can be very overwhelming. We've all been there. And it's like, you can let it tear you down where then you kind of retreat, run away and just latch on to what's comfortable. Or again, you can have that choir, you can have that dialogue, you can have that animation of like, hey, hey, it's just beginning. Like, don't worry. This is just the signal that you are beginning this part of the path. It does not have to tear you down. So I think there's something huge that you're talking about, especially during this time, because one of the most fascinating things about this pandemic is I don't care who you are or how lucky you've even been during this time from those who have been affected in the worst ways to those who have been able to skate through it a little bit easier. There is no way your emotions are not coming up and rearing their heads right now. There's just no way. It's you are being confronted with stuff of your own as well as stuff from the outside. So it is, I feel like the, t- the test of what's happening now is to learn how to do exactly what you're saying. Amen. I feel like we're being called to learn how to do it. And either will unconsciously avoid, right? Which is to me what anxiety is. I actually don't really know that I believe that anxiety is a feeling. I actually think anxiety is a byproduct. It's a reaction. It's what happens when it's the tension that builds in our body when we're ignoring or avoiding our emotions. So that's one piece. And then the other way that we typically avoid is we medicate, right? We turn to smoking, drinking, eating, social media, scrolling, sex, porn, these are all ways that we avoid feeling these emotions. And so what you're talking about, I kind of like, I love the notion of animating a choir, the process that's really been helpful for me. Um, <clears throat> this definitely syncs up with the world of trauma healing. Um, and also Tara Brock, who I'm sure you're familiar with Tara, it's a beautiful teacher. She kind of designed a process called RAIN, mm-hmm. where it's about, it's recognize, recognize what's happening inside my body right now, right? So like, I'm in this moment, I'm uncomfortable, or I'm anxious, or I'm avoiding doing something. Whatever. So first, recognize what's happening inside my body, like, oh, I'm tight, I'm tense, my shoulders are in my ears, my heart's beating really fast. Then like, recognize, what are you feeling? Ooh, I'm feeling afraid. Okay. Now, A is allow. I allow myself to be tense. I allow my heart to race. I allow this fear to be here, right? And you sit with that, which is very different from trying to push it away. And then I, you investigate it, right? Like, so when in this moment that this tension has grabbed my body and and I'm feeling this fear, I investigate, what am I believing about myself? Oh, I'm, I'm believing that I'm not capable, that I'm not enough, that I'm too whatever to be loved or that I'm not pretty enough or what that I don't have enough money to do what I want to do or what am I believing about the other person if it's a situation with another person involved or if it's a situation with money what am I believing about money or if it's a situation with my health what am I believing about health right so what am I believing and then to me the most important question is what is this wounded place inside of me that's afraid what does it need and you listen, right? It's about building a relationship. You listen. Oh, 
this place inside of me needs a hug. Wait, well, okay, so if you get a hug, what are you gonna feel? Oh, you're gonna feel safe. Oh, you weren't feeling safe. And then N, nurture, is how can I give myself that safety? Oh, well, I already found out I can give myself a hug. And then I take an action to give myself that hug or take 10 deep breaths or drink a big jug of water or go for a walk or whatever it is so that in the moment of the trigger, as opposed to going into this unconscious process of thinking about the problem and wishing it wasn't happening or this unconscious avoidance process of going to smoke a cigarette or whatever, instead I go into a conscious process where at the end of it, I end up nurturing myself And for my own life, the more I do that over and over, every time I'm triggered, that's my number one priority is rain. The more I do it, the safer I start to feel, the more I start to realize that I can actually take care of myself and rely on myself. And that to me is, you know, it's interesting you're talking about the transitional space. Mm -hmm. That to me is what builds the courage to keep going is I, courage isn't like, I can do it and I'm never going to hit a challenge. To me, courage is not like I know what I'm doing. Courage is I'm going to walk this path and I'm going to hit challenges. But when I do, I know that I can take care of myself. That to me is what builds courage. It's so true. And it's so interesting because you find that when you start to get I've had moments where I feel like I'll be in that place where I'm like, it's okay, I can walk forward. And I know I'm going to make mistakes in walking forward and it's okay, it's okay. I'll be okay doing it. I can take care of myself. And then there's people who are close to you that aren't quite yet in that headspace <laughs> and, and they don't get it. It's really funny and they don't get it. And if anything, then they project onto you that feeling. Like if you do make the mistake, then it's like, well, what were you thinking? You said you could do this. You said you could do it perfectly. It's like, no, I never said I could do it perfectly. I never said I wasn't going to make mistakes, but they can't possibly wrap their head around the idea that you might be okay with failing in that moment. Mm. I mean, failing is such an extreme word, but you know what I mean? It's really funny how then it becomes, I feel like I've had that conversation a few times where I'm like, no, 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 I never said that. I never expected it to be perfect or a hundred percent. Um, but it's so interesting. Rain is huge. Rain is a great, you know, we, we talk about a lot in our teacher training program, actually, and the mindfulness section, because it is so important and you described it so beautifully. And again, back to this idea of kind of where we are now as a collective, it is, if we could all start honoring our emotions and our feelings, we would be in a very different state because then you now start honoring other people's emotions and their feelings. And um, which I think is what's really missing right now. Everyone, no one can seem to be okay with other people's emotions. Um, if they're not quote unquote, right, you know, everything's right or wrong, which makes no sense. Because as you said, like you, the fact that emotions are even labeled negative, which I love that. I never even thought about it the way the fact that they're labeled negative emotions is a huge problem. That's crazy, actually. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. So when we bring it back full circle to where you're at now, well, actually, what for you started, what in your life, because again, you've you've had a lot of success. So what in your life triggered you to be like, I am not exploring the shadow side enough. This is what I need to be doing right now. What started mm-hmm. this work for you, mm-hmm. this self-exploration for you?
I would say I was doing my spiritual work for years. I was doing my Course in Miracles work. I was doing my meditation. I was practicing my Vedic meditation. I was in my yoga practice. And all of that has been instrumental, transformational. It's connected me to the universe and to life and to God in a way that I didn't know was possible. And I wasn't really able to hold a healthy relationship. I wasn't able to show up honestly and, and communicate. Um, I was attracting people that I was like, they're clearly not ready for what I want. And I knew there was something missing. There's something missing in my practice. And then <clears throat> four years ago, a dear, dear, I was at my, you know, Sophia Bush. Mm -hmm. I was at Sophia's. We were hanging out. We were talking. And she was like, what are you doing tomorrow? And I was like, I'm living my life. I don't know. <laughs> she was like, book a plane ticket to Nashville. I'm going for a week with a group of friends to this place called Onsite where we're going to do experiential trauma healing work, which is full, like with psychologists, incredible retreat center. And I was very privileged to get this invitation. Um, and I went, I literally, I went to a Florence and the Machine concert that night. And I was st standing there looking at the flights and they were expensive. Like, because it was like the flight was tomorrow morning at 6am. And I looked at Ori, my now fiance. Do you know we're engaged? Um, no. <laughs> oh, I, my eyes just popped out. What? Okay. Keep going. And we are, I am so fucking excited right now. <laughs> yeah. I need to hear um, it. Nicole just wrote in the chat. Oh my God, 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 congrats. Um, oh, I'm so, oh my God. I love Ori so much. Okay. So, me too. Um, I was like, I feel like I need to go do this. And he was like, I totally support you. Just do it. I booked a flight and I went and I spent a week doing experiential therapy, trauma, experiential trauma therapy work in this, these small groups. And through that work, I realized how much of my early childhood I hadn't looked at and how much pain I had experienced and how much I had created myself to be someone to avoid the painful emotions and the painful experiences that I had as a child, even though my parents did the best they could, just growing up in this world. And that woke me up. And it started giving me a relationship with myself that I hadn't had before. And once I had those two things, meaning the meditation, the spiritual work, the prayer work, and the deep trauma-informed work, now I felt like I had a cohesive, complete system of healing. So that when I was feeling triggered, it, just, it wasn't only, dear universe, I welcome you into my mind to see this situation through my eyes and heal my thinking, which kind of put my healing and the responsibility of my healing on some spirit out there that could enter into me and help me, which was transformational and, and powerful for years. But now it was also 
oh, this pain, this sadness, this darkness, this anger, it's alive in me. And instead of me going outside of myself to some spirit that lives out there, how am I going to connect with, with myself and sit with myself and feel the discomfort, right? We always say the only way to heal is to feel, right? Is to actually let myself start to feel what was uncomfortable for me. And the combination of those two practices started transforming me. And every year since then, I go back there. I work with a trauma-informed psychologist here in LA that I'm obsessed with. And I'm just doing this deeper work around sitting with my stuff. And far too often in the realm of spirituality, there's so much noise about if you feel those dark things, if you feel that fear or that anger or that sadness, then you're going to attract more of it. That is such a childish, immature, um, limiting way to teach personal development and personal growth. Because it's not about becoming this like overly indulgent human being. It's about learning how to take care of yourself. And when we are able to take care of ourselves, we're genuinely, as you said before, more able to take care of others um, and be mature adults as opposed to these kind of like disassociated people who don't know how to nurture ourselves. It's so interesting because I know one of the things when I went through training and I didn't like this part, even though I related to it a little bit, it was very much this idea of, yeah, just stop talking about your shit. And like the part of it I understood was, yes, we also know those people where you just keep talking about it and talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And you're just going in circles and you're just creating more energy around it and you're creating a world around it. That I, I do get. But it was also this idea, which I did not get, which is okay, stuff happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Now, this is what you're going to do. And you can wipe the energy clean basically and keep moving forward. And that part, I was like, I actually feel like some of my biggest openings in my life were understanding why I got to where I got to or understanding why I felt the way I felt to. It like takes away the, it takes away the hold on you or whatever the word is. You know what I mean? It like loosens the grip of that emotion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I remember being very uncomfortable with that language. Like I understood it to one extent of, and we've also been there. People have also had therapists where you probably are just talking every day and not really doing any of the work. And it's, and, you know, I think that happens a lot in, um, couples therapy. It's like, it's almost just a place to let people argue sometimes if you do not have a skilled therapist. And I do think that can cause more damage. Like I, I do think that can create more negativity within the relationship um, versus helping grow from it. But at the same time, if people are already there, I think pretending nothing happened and then just acting like everything's great also does not help. A no. <laughs> no. So it's, it's interesting. And I do see that that happens in the spirit, spiritual world a lot, the wellness community. Yeah. Yeah. What I've learned, especially relationally is secure attachment between two people is a byproduct of creating a container inside of which I'm safe to feel whatever it is that's arising so that then I can also communicate it and you can do the same and we can stay in the room with each other. 
And it's very different from you do this and it makes me feel this way. And when you do that, instead, if you use that process of RAIN, if both people in a relationship have a system to check in with themselves and realize, oh, when my partner says this to me or does this thing that they always do, what it causes me to feel is this. And that comes from, if I really check in, that button has existed that's getting pushed. It existed before I even knew my partner was alive on this planet. And so it's old. And so when this is happening in our relationship, this part of me that is afraid of X, Y, and Z is coming up. And now I'm learning how to take care of that part of myself. Then I can step into the relationship and say to my partner, hey, you know, I'm noticing that when you say this or when this happens or when I hear you say blah, 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 I notice this feeling arise inside of me that feels like X, Y, and Z. And I want you to know that because we're in a relationship and because the truth is you do affect me and I do affect you. And it's not even that I go into this conversation to try to change you. It's more that I go into this conversation so that you can know me. You can know this part of me. Yeah. I've said that a lot to Alec before too. I'm like, I'm not, this is not about you. This is, I have to work on this for myself now that I noticed this, but I need you to understand it. So you also get why my behavior becomes X, Y, and Z. Exactly. It's true. Once you create a container, it is amazing how, like even yesterday I was feeling that anxiety. It was so funny. And I have a five-year-old. So sometimes when you really need that space, you don't get it Mm -hmm. um, at all, especially if you have only one child. So it's always like every second, hello, hello, me, 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 me. Um, And I was feeling it yesterday where I was like, and I remember I was literally in the kitchen thinking to myself what I would have done to take a walk today and almost frustrated about it. And I didn't say it out loud. And in that exact moment, Alec was like, you should really go take a walk. And I was like, I'm going to, like, I just jumped on. I was like, the fact that he just said that I'm like the fact that he was somehow in my head and knew I so appreciate it. Like at this point in our relationship, I think he must've just seen however my eyes were looking or whatever it was, you know what I mean? But he was like, you should take a walk or why don't you take a walk before it gets too late? I think that's what he said. Why don't you take a walk before it gets too late? Cause it gets dark so early now. Um, and I was like, I'm going to do that. And I literally like got my layers on and ran out and had about a half an hour before the sunset. Um, but it's, it is so true. That is to me a game changer in relationships. When you start to just look at your own growth and your own evolution and stop worrying about someone else's. Yeah. <laughs> like playing the ball. It, it changes it. Yeah. It really does. And then I have to hear all about your engagement, but we'll do that afterwards. So tell us, so now you've had this year, you've obviously been a huge support for people. You've been going through your own growth and you've come up with the sanctuary challenge, which is amazing. And so you, which is what I love about it. Talk talk to us about it a little bit. Yeah. So in, in working with people for again, a decade, um, and then doing a lot of group work with people. In doing group work with people, I had to figure out like, how do I take the depth of the one-on-one work with people that I'm doing all the time? I had to find a way to deliver the, the magic and the power of the coaching work that I do with people to groups of people where they don't have the same access and one-on-one time and kind of hand-holding and consistent check-ins. And, and so I started this group coaching at the beginning of COVID. And what we, the way we set it up was a five-week curriculum 
but the first week was all focused on best self-care practices that everyone committed to the time during the coaching process for five weeks that every day they would commit to five daily practices. And the group got to hold the group accountable to doing the daily practices and magic happened. Um, and so at the kind of in the process of doing the group coaching, a lot of people applied for group coaching who also couldn't afford the group coaching. And for a lot of people, even a hundred dollars is just like out of, of the ability for people for their self-care right now. And I was feeling the weight of that. And so I was like, oh, how do I now take this and give it out to the world for free? How do we democratize wellness? How do we make it so that no one has to spend a dollar to take care of themselves? Because I truly believe that real self-care is free. You don't have to buy a lotion. You don't have to buy a potion. You don't have to buy a membership. You don't have to buy a yoga pant or a mat or a face wash. Like real self-care is free. And so I started putting the pieces together to launch the Sanctuary Challenge. Um, it's a 60-day commitment to real self-care defined as whatever we can do throughout the day to slow down and learn how to nurture ourselves. And I believe that these five practices that I'm about to share, when they are, when they are each done every day, they create like a circuitry of self-care that is truly miraculous. Mm. So it's, you start the day. So the five commitments are, I'll tell you all of them and then I'll kind of describe them quickly. Guided morning meditation, healthy eating, moving your body or exercising, goddess time, and getting eight hours of sleep. So, oh, yeah. And you know what? And, and most of us do. And, and part of the reason I'm doing this as a 60-day challenge with when, when people hear that, I know they're like, are you sure you don't just want to start this with a week? And I'm like, no. Because like, part of this is what? I like the longer challenges. For yeah. Firstly it takes that much time to really have transformation. And secondly, you're gonna fall off the horse. And a big part of this challenge is how do we get back on? How do we speak to ourselves when we fall off the horse, right? Um, so I created a guided morning meditation with an incredible musician, Hadas Kleiman. It's, I just got the, got the recording of it mixed. I sent it to you. Um, it's so beautiful. And it's a guided morning meditation that's, really just 20 minutes to check in with how am I today? What is it like to be me today? How can I sit with myself and allow myself to be exactly as I am without needing to change myself today? And we finish that with a gratitude practice. Then 30 minutes of exercise or moving your body, whatever that looks like for you. Then healthy eating, same thing, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's more intuitive eating. Maybe it's bringing more things into your fridge that come from the earth. Maybe it's thinking, hey, you know what? I drink a Diet Coke every day. Maybe for 60 days, I'm going to try to start cutting that down, right? Um, the fourth commitment is goddess time, which is a ritual at the end of your work day to wash off the accumulated stress of the day so you don't bring that stress into the next day or into the evening. So that means if you have a bathtub and you have that privilege to take a bath for 20 minutes, which secretly 
Leanne Rhymes and my friend Connie, her artist name is Milk, are writing a sanctuary song right now, which mm -hmm. is like a modern mantra song for people to play while they're in their goddess time. If you don't have a bathtub, you can just turn your phone off and put your feet up a wall for 20 minutes. Um, and then the last one is we know the importance of sleep and getting that restoration in our sleep. And so what we're building out is a full website with all the information. You just sign up and you get like access to the morning meditation, a commitment tracker where you can check off all your commitments throughout the day, a PDF that just explains all the practices and answers any questions. Um, and then we'll be uploading more videos going deeper into each one of those practices, working with other experts to help people understand meditation a little bit more accessibly, learn little tricks and hacks about how to eat healthier and take care of your body, et cetera. Um, and then the big, big, big piece is we all know that we should be doing these things, right? I'm not like inventing, reinventing the wheel here. Like these practices have all existed for a very long time. The piece that I really wanna deliver is accountability, right? We know we need to be doing these practices every day, but typically we don't because we're not good at holding ourselves accountable. Yeah. As opposed to training people to become better at accountability, personal accountability, I realized isn't that what community is for? What if we actually build micro communities where we hold each other accountable to our best practices of becoming our best selves? And so when you sign up for the challenge, you'll get an email response with a really beautiful setup link where you can invite what we're calling your sanctuary accountability crew. So you invite five people to join and you just put their email addresses in and then they get an email that's like, hey, Nancy, Tal Rabinowitz invited you to join the Sanctuary Challenge with her. This is what the challenge is. Click here to come join the challenge. It's totally free. And then Tal will be prompted to start either a text message chain or a WhatsApp chain. And then every morning for the 60 days of the challenge, which launches on January 1st, um, whoever wakes up first jumps into the text chain or the WhatsApp chain and just says, good morning, loves. Today I am committed to, and you write out my morning meditation, my goddess time, healthy eating, etc., so that you help each other remember every day, like, oh, right, I'm committed to this again, right? So and you help hold each other accountable to the challenge. And that's it. I just... It's great. My goal here is to get as many people around the world to slow down and learn how to nurture themselves. I think that in terms of what I can offer the world is so needed and instrumental in bringing about the kind of world that we're all longing to see that is equitable, accessible to all people, um, takes care of all people. I love it. And that's so you, and this is so perfect. And what a beautiful way to start 2021. Thank you. So I'm hoping that your, you know, your den listeners are certainly the kind of people that like, we don't want only doing the challenge, but also becoming ambassadors of it and like inviting their family and friends and loved ones to join. And um, yeah. The, 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 the website will be launching latest. I don't know when this podcast goes live. Soon. Okay, great. So the website will be available December 15th 
the Instagram is already up. It's at the sanctuary challenge at the sanctuary challenge. Um, and then the website will go live on or before December 15th, which is the sanctuary where people can just sign up and start getting all the info totally for free. It's super exciting. Thank you. I love it. I love it. I'm going to do it. I love it. I'll put you in my group. <laughs> yeah, please do. I'll put you in my group. <laughs> you can be the ambassador. <laughs> Okay, four quick four yous before uh, we wrap up, and then you're going to do a personal practice. Um, what, I mean, because I've asked you these before, so I'm trying to, well, what are you obsessed with currently besides the sanctuary challenge? Something of for yourself, what are you obsessed with? Mm, well, we have seven chickens. So obsessed with like chickens and figuring out how to take care of them and like all of that. And also like gardening. Our vegetable garden is, uh, has been my pride and joy. What were the guard were the were the gardens were the chickens hard to get used to? It's a it's a thing. It's like a whole. Oh yeah, it's like it's a big deal actually. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, you know, Ori really took the spearhead on that, um, and has like been so incredible with it. But it is it is a thing. I mean, they're they're a very specific kind of a creature, and um, we actually unfortunately lost one a couple months in. Mm. precious was her name she was so beautiful and she was a silky um so she's like a big black poof ball she was so mm. cute but she never felt very long for this world she felt like she was just supposed to come in for a little bit and um but yeah just learning a lot about like temperature and the best kind of thing for underneath their feet because if the surface is too hard they can get bumblefoot and like just all of the i mean chicken people it's like dog people yeah. You know, it's, it's a, but now we just started getting eggs and I keep joking that if Kim Kardashian and, and Kanye West could design um, egg colors, our chickens, we get like matte green, like an army green, pink, really? like a, like a, like a, like a, like a dusty light pink like rose and brown and we just started getting blue eggs as well. I'll show that. I'll send you a picture. And they're all matte. They're so gorgeous. That's so fascinating. I know I want chickens and I want goats. I want the whole, I want a farm. My daughter was like, mommy and daddy keep talking about getting a place with animals. I am not picking up any poop. Oh my God. She's so great. Such a girly girl. So I was like, but would you want the animals? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> exactly. You got to work for it, girl. Um, so what do you do when you first wake up? I meditate. Yeah. I mean, I, I get out of bed and well, I snuggle with my lover and then I get out of bed. I brush my teeth. I wash my face. Um, typically I make a bowel movement. Like luckily I'm very regular that way. <laughs> I, and I leave my phone in another room and I get my ass out of that bed and I march myself directly after the bathroom directly. I'm pointing to my couch right now where I meditate and I sit down and I meditate because I recognize that if I check my phone or if I do anything else, there's no way I'm going to meditate. Now, is Ori good? Like, does Ori stay in the bedroom or does he walk around and you don't care? Like, do you guys have a... I go meditate in the living room um, and very often he comes and joins me. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, what book is currently by your bedside? You know, I, it's so great you're reminding me about this. I, I just got Atomic Habits. Because as I'm launching this challenge, like four different people have been like, you have to read Atomic Habits. Um, and I haven't opened it yet. 
I know I tend to have that pile and it just gets, it's, it's like, there's more I want to read than I actually have time to. Totally. I hate that. Um, what besides course, of Miracles, by, by the way, I will say, cause I actually don't read books that much. I'm much more of an audio guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm right now listening to cast by Isabel Wilkinson, um, which is incredible. I highly recommend everyone read it or listen to it. I'm sure you've heard about it too. It's a big Oprah book now as well. Um, it's a, it's taking three cultures in the world and looking at caste systems. So the caste system in India, the caste system of pre-World War II Holocaust Germany, hmm. and the caste system of um, African Black Americans in the United States starting in 1619 at slavery. And how um, racism in this country, we should actually stop calling it racism and we should actually start calling it a caste system because it's really an economic system set up to create an, a booming economy for the um, empowered people, which is white people at the top of the caste system and that black people were brought here and dehumanized to become slaves um, to build this economic system. Um, and it's a really important reimagining of what of the history and the system of racism in this country. Um, I think it's really important. What's the, and what's the weave through the three, like what's the- Just that all three of them are a caste system, right? In India, you have at the bottom, you have the untouchables and at the top, I think you have the Brahmins or or the the wealthy. And Mm -hmm. for thousands of years in India, you're not, whatever caste system you're born into, you have to stay in, stay in. Um, Similarly in in Germany and in in Europe in, um, in the 30s and 40s, this caste system of like Jewish people at the bottom, right? So it's just like weaving this storyline of the way um, societies throughout history use the caste system. They literally cast groups of people as these unchangeable fixed um, groups or aspects of society. Um, And it's how we, or it's how power is maintained for those with the most privilege. And that until we see that America, that the United States has been set up as a caste system, um, we will be blind to the ways that um, racism is actually a function that's used to set up an economy to, um, to support certain humans, mainly you know male with white skin, um, versus other humans, right? Like immigrants, b- black people, Hispanic people, um, trans people, homosexual, et cetera. Anybody different. Um, I think it's a really important book. It's, it sounds fascinating. Yeah. What has been your most recent moment that reminds you that you're human? Oh, this time of my anxiety. In so, much, in so many ways, I think there's just so much ego around thinking like, huh, for a couple of years, I feel like I've just been like steady and like on a good path and doing well and like knowing who I am and like being in this beautiful relationship. And then about a week ago, I just got taken down to my knees. I was like, oh, yep, I'm human. I have challenges, I have pain, I have trauma. I have fear. Um, and that to me feels very human. I love you. 
I love you too. This is amazing. You're the best. You are such a gift to all other humans. I mean, such a gift. I say that to you all the time, a gifted teacher, a gifted human, constantly teaching, constantly lifting people up and allowing them to get to know themselves so much better. Mm. It's huge. Huge. Love you. Likewise. Ditto. So let's take a seat with our back supported. And if you feel comfortable to close your eyes, I invite you to do so. As we take a deep breath together, inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the nose. Again, a deep breath in through the nose. And as we exhale, relaxing the weight of the body into the support underneath us. Keep your breath moving just like that giving your gift of breath to your body. My personal practice daily is to find my inner sanctuary. And for me, the simplest way to do so is through gratitude. Not necessarily gratitude for the things that I have or I want, but gratitude for what's already been given me that I didn't even have to ask for. These elements that often we take for granted And so I utilize this practice to remind my mind of the gifts I've been given. I begin to remember that I have been given life. Thank you. Thank you for this breath, for creating a miraculous world where the trees and plants exhale oxygen that my body and lungs know how to inhale and that this oxygen is a free gift that feeds me and sustains me here. Thank you for this breath. And this miraculous world grows our food. The intelligence of this earth grows sustenance. Intelligence that also my body is built to chew and digest, to fuel my body that I may live. Thank you, Earth. And we've been given a sun in the sky that warms our bodies. And the moon 
and the stars to illuminate even the darkest night. Thank you. We've been given rivers and oceans to swim. We've been given earth on which we can dance. And perhaps most miraculous of all, we've been given these bodies made up of many, many, many cells all working together that we may move and speak and think and create and sing and dance that we may see. Thank you. Thank you for this life. Thank you for another day. Thank you for all the ways that this universe supports me and all beings. May we all remember how truly supported we are and allow ourselves every day to be held in the remembrance of this support. Let's take a deep breath together. And as we exhale, you may want to bow your head slightly in honoring of the wisdom that lives within each of us. May we remember how blessed we are. Thank you for joining me for this practice. Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.